message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. which is very familiar to us from the Christmas story, of course. And we were speaking already this morning, and the Holy Spirit's been speaking so powerfully about the power of the life of God to be formed in us by the words that we receive. We spoke this morning about Mary, of course, uh, receiving the word of the Lord and conceiving, the, the, the conceiving Christ. And we're going to see this morning, in fact, the power of the spoken word the gospel in our lives to do exactly the same. This is Luke chapter 2, and just one verse from this story, which is verse 21. And Luke chapter 2, verse 21 says this, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named. I'll say that again. On the day it was time to circumcise the child, on that day he was named. And he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Now, over the last few weeks, we have been speaking, and the Holy Spirit has been ministering to us this all year, to lift our vision higher, to lift our vision out of the earthly realm, out of the fact that you've been here, maybe, and you've been here around for 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years, out of your earthly record and into the heavenly record into who you are in Christ, into what we've called this eternal name. And so what we've been seeing is that each of us too as believers, we were given a name before we were even conceived. Not only before we were conceived, before even the world's foundation was laid, the Bible says. And the interesting thing about this scripture, it says too, that when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named. So we too can only start to live from that name following a circumcision. I'm going to talk about that today because a circumcision is a cutting off. It's a cutting off of the old life. And so as believers too, the cutting off of the flesh and the living from your eternal name go together. Let me say that in a different way. To the extent that you see that what life you have been cut off from, to that extent, you can live in your new life. To the extent that you see what life you have been cut off from, to that extent, you can live in your new life. Like Nicola, there came a day when she was cut off from her old life, and she was given a new name, Mrs. Doherty. <laughs> but she can't live fully from that name only to the extent that she's been cut off from her old life, that she sees, in fact, that she's no longer Miss Farthing, but she's Mrs. Doherty. Now, you know, the Christmas story, the gospel is just so good. Do you know God married you? Do you know who you are? Now, that's the way he sees us. But as Brian was saying this morning, there sometimes is a disconnect between the head and the body. <clears throat> and the work of the Holy Spirit is to grow the body up into the head. Now, you're sitting in an apostolic church. We believe in five-fold ministry. And if you look at Ephesians 4, as Brian said this morning, the purpose of five-fold ministry is one thing, 
to grow the body into the head. Not to produce good church scores, to produce people who are in Christ. Oh, that is so much more than going to church. That is so much more than religion. That is a supernatural event. And it's happening right now in the body of Christ. There's a revelation. There's been a connection. And when these nerves are connected up, when there's a connection again between the head and the body, things start to work that never worked before. The body of Christ can rise up and be the new man in Christ, to be Christ on the face of the earth. What an amazing thing. An apostolic ministry is for nothing less than that there. It cannot be for anything less. And we'll see that today, in fact. And so this revelation that, in fact, our life did not begin on this earth, but that we had a name and a calling conceived before the foundation of the world, that's very important. Because who you see yourself to be, who you name yourself to be, you will be that person. You are already becoming the person you believe you are. And that's where we come together, that we can speak to each other as we really are. Because whether you like it or not, you today are exactly the person that you have believed yourself to be. That's how this works. Faith, the ability to be who Christ says you be, comes by hearing. In the Old Testament, through angels. In the New Testament, through the proclamation of the gospel. Six weeks ago, Ashish and Sarah were here. And Ashish began by saying this, if you remember. He took us and he said, Our life and our identity cannot begin in the Garden of Eden. It cannot begin from the fall. It begins way beyond that, way back further, in the heart of God. God already knew everything that was going to happen. Let me put it like this. Jesus did not come as a response to something that Adam had done. Praise God. That's very, very important. Christ is more than simply God's reaction or God's response to something Adam did. Why is it important to see that? Because if your theology is based on the belief that God deals with us according to our works rather than his eternal purpose, then your vision will always remain more on your earthly record than on his heavenly calling. Your vision will be tied to the earthly realm. Your vision will be self-centered rather than Christ-centered. So the Holy Spirit lifts the eyes of the believer from the things which are passing away to the things which never pass away. And God's word never passes away. His eternal word for us never passes away. So that lifting of vision is something the Holy Spirit's doing. And by the power of the word, by the power of the preaching of the gospel of grace, vision is being lifted into the eternal realm. People are starting to be who they really are in Christ, whom God purposed them to be, fully formed. Or as Ephesians 4 says, the full man, fully mature, the fullness of God in Christ. And of his fullness have you all received, the Bible says. And so the work of the ministry really is to see the eyes open to see what we already have. Praise God. The Holy Spirit does that. In other words, if you as a believer still see God reacting to you, responding to you on the basis of what sin there is in your life, then you still see yourself more in the first Adam, the living soul, than in the last Adam, the life-giving spirit. And there's an awful difference between living from your soul and living from your spirit. Biggest difference in the world. As long as you're living more in your soul than your spirit, you'll continue to draw your identity more from what this world has done to you than what Christ has done in you. When you live from your soul, the thoughts that govern your life are those of what you need. 
because you're living by your feelings and you feel separated from God. And the mindset of separation, Romans calls a mindset of death. That's what it is to live from your soul. It feels like death. But when you live from your spirit, the thoughts that govern your life, that rule your life, are those of what you already have. Because in Christ, all things, especially the presence of God, you already have. Praise God. And that mindset of oneness, the Bible is a name for that. In the Greek, it's irene, which we translate as peace. And so that's why Romans 8, 6 says this, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So let me say this again. If you as a believer still see God reacting to you, responding to you on the basis of what sin there is in your life, then you're still seeing yourself more in the first Adam, a living soul, than in the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. More as single than married. You're seeing yourself as a single person. You're not seeing yourself as married to Christ. Your mind is not set on the things above, and as we'll see this morning, nor can it be until you accept that you died, that there was a cutting away. You see, the name is given on the day you're circumcised. So you need to see what that cutting away of the flesh is. You can only live from it from the day of your circumcision. Listen to Colossians 2.11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. This is what the King James says. You were circumcised by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Colossians 3 says it even plainer. It says this, you died. You died. And your life is now hidden with Christ and God. You see, you were translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Something happened. That's why the good news is called the good news. It's not about what's going to happen. It's about something that happened in Christ. So to live more from the earthly realm than the heavenly realm is simply to live more from your soul than your spirit. It's to live more by your feelings than by the spirit of faith. And what the Holy Spirit is doing when he says to us, set your mind, set your mind on things above. Set your mind. Do you know what set your mind means? Make your mind up. Are you single or are you married? <laughs> you made your mind up, didn't you? I made my mind up. We'd have some marriage if we hadn't made our mind up, wouldn't we? That's what the whole heaven says. Come on, church, make your mind up. Are you dead or alive? Are you single or you're married? No, honestly, no messing. You must make a choice. You must see yourself as totally married. A man who sees himself as both single and married is on the road to destruction of his marriage. And a woman too. You can't play around like that. The Bible says that's adultery. Are you single or are you married? Come on. Are you dead of your life? Are you in union with him or are you separate from him by your sins? You can't have a mixed. I can't have a mixed marriage. I can't have a mixed message, a mixed mind in my marriage. It'll destroy my marriage. It will never be everything that is meant to be or produce the fruit that it could be with the intimacy of knowing that you are married. There's nothing like it. So the Holy Spirit seeks to lift our vision higher out of the soulish, earthly, passing away realm and into the Spirit, the eternal realm, to see not the things that are seen, because the things that are seen are passing away, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are eternal. 
they'll never pass away. But as long as we resist the renewing of our minds from the old covenant sin-conscious thinking to the new covenant sun-conscious thinking, then our vision will always remain more focused in the earthly realm than in the heavenly realm. More focused on the things of this world than the eternal things. If I ask you this morning, how do you feel about the challenges of this world? How do you feel about things like the story that Brian has uh, mentioned this morning? How do you feel about tragedy and, and all this stuff in the world? You know what the Bible says is the way that the believer thinks about these things? He thinks about the troubles of this world as light and momentary afflictions. Wow. How can you think of such things? Maybe it's gone on for 20, 30, 40 years as a light and momentary affliction only by seeing the glory. Only by a revelation of the glory given to you in your spirit can you look at this world and say this is just a light and momentary affliction. And that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Isn't it amazing? My goodness, when the body of Christ wakes up, there's going to be a tremendous shaking in the world. Amazing. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. But as long as my mind is not renewed to my new position in Christ, then really I will live as if he who is in the world is greater than he who is in us. And I will live as if more as he who is in sin than he who is in the Son. And I will live more as a passing away thing than as an eternal thing. Great to meditate on the fact that you're an eternal thing <laughs> rather than meditate on passing away. So this morning, we're going to allow the eternal gospel to set our mind on eternal things. And that's what we see through the writings of the New Testament. The Holy Spirit revealing to the church what the Apostle Paul called the mystery that has been hidden until Christ came. The eternal purpose of God. Christ in you. The hope of glory. The eternal thing that has been hidden. That God came to make his home in us. A desire that God had in his heart before the foundation of the world. God knew that to make man in his image, he would have to give him freedom. A freedom of will. A free choice. And he knew what man would do with that choice. God knew before he even created us that he would have to come and save us from ourselves. He knew that. And so all the way through the scriptures, there's scripture after scripture about the eternal purpose of God. About us from before the foundation of the world. Let me read a few to you. First Peter 1. Don't turn to these. I'll rattle through them. It says, Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Revelation 13, 8, the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1 and 5, you've been predestined as adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. And Romans 8, 30 says, these whom he predestined, he also called, and as these whom he called, he justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. He, 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 he. Says God laughs at his enemies. <laughs> he, he, he. He did it all. There's nothing about you and I in that. He did it all, you know. Now that does not make any sense to our natural minds because the soul wants to do something. You see? The last thing the soul learns to do is receive. Praise God. Actually, it's about remembering because that was actually the first thing you learned to do as a soul was to receive. When you could do nothing for yourself, you must become as little children, the Lord says. So I want to show you this again in Scripture. Turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy. We're going to look at this scripture once more because when I looked at this scripture we've been looking at over the last few months, I saw something new in it. And that's just beautiful. 2 Timothy chapter 1. The amazing thing about God's word is 
that there is enough in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to preach for a thousand lifetimes. Because as we go into the Word of God, we grow in our capacity to receive more revelation. I really hope that's true of every person here. I really hope that in 2020, you can say, I am able to understand and receive and hold things in my spirit that I could not in 2019, that I could not in 2018, you know? It's a tragedy for a parent to look at a child that is not growing up, you know? When a child is two or three years of age, and we used to do this with our children, you, you're feeding them, you know, maybe a little young child, maybe less than a year, and you, do you ever just do the choo-choo train where you put some food and they go, choo-choo, open up into the tunnel, choo-choo. Well, that's funny at that age. But when a man is 40 or 50 years of age and able to feed himself, that's not funny anymore. It's not funny if somebody does not grow up into everything that God saw him to be. And that's what the, the scriptures are all about, and that's what God's doing with us, praise God. That's why Christ and him crucified is all you hear us speak about here. If you want some nice talks on how you can be a better Christian and how you can please God more, then you must be very disappointed by now. Because we don't preach you. We preach Christ. Did you catch that? I can't speak to you some nice talks about who, how you can be a better Christian because we don't preach you. We preach Christ. We preach Christ. Because in Christ, your old trying to please God life, your old separated from God by your sins life, was put to death, and you were born again, fully pleasing to God. Because 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ has become for us our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. And yes, that is a totally different way of thinking from old-time religion, from law mixed with grace. Will you feel holy enough to be pleasing to him one week, but unholy enough to be displeasing to him the next week. Where you feel, because you're living from your soul, good enough to take communion one day, but not good enough to take it another day. Because the mind governed by the flesh is death, separation. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace, union, oneness. So yes, to start to think of yourself from God's perspective, to start to live from your spirit rather than your soul, your feelings, requires of you and I a total change of mind. And the Bible is a name for that. We know it well. It's a metanoia. We use the word repentance. It requires a total repentance. And that's why as ministers of the new covenant, we refuse to minister to you in the language of the old as if you were flesh and blood. Because you're not just flesh and blood. As ministers of reconciliation, as ministers of the Spirit, we cannot minister to you the letter that brings condemnation when we have been instructed to regard no man after the flesh but after the Spirit. And you see, what Brian was saying this morning is it is in speaking to you by the Spirit that repentance, this metanoia, happens. That's how it happens. A totally new way of thinking is gifted to you and I when we're spoken to in this way. Repentance is not a work of the flesh, but a gift of God's Spirit that comes through His Word. And it is a Word of God that is the power of God unto repentance. But how are men to repent if they're not given such words? If they're never spoken to by the Spirit, how God sees them to be? My goodness, everywhere Jesus went, He brought the most amazing transformation to people's lives, but He never spoke to people as they were. Did you notice that? He spoke to people as He saw them to be according to his eternal purpose. That's why he could say to a dead girl, get up and eat. <laughs> Whoa! 
Or say to a man lying on his bed, you know, what are you doing lying there? Take up your bed and walk. You see, what's he doing? He's not addressing them as they are. He's addressing them as he sees them to be. And you know, God has so much faith in his word, he can declare who you are. He sees you that way. Praise God. He sees you that way. So as you keep hearing your new name in Christ, then you can start to draw identity, eternal identity, from whom he declares you to be, rather than from your record in the flesh, what you do or don't do. And then we can begin to understand what that scripture in Ephesians 4 means when it says that we're to lay aside that old self by being renewed in the spirit of your mind so that you can put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's Ephesians 4, 23 and 24. Now let's read 2 Timothy, okay? Have you got it? 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Your Bible may say from before the foundation of the world, but has now been revealed, and this is the part I want to look at today, verse 10, has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So once again, we've, we've covered all this before about this foundation. Before the foundation of the world, he gives us this name. And this name he speaks to us by, it lifts us. He's lifting our identity out of the earthly, temporal, passing away realm and up into the heavenly, eternal realm so that we begin to draw our identity not from 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years of soulish, earthly living, but we're drawing our identity from an eternal name. And that's why when the Lord appeared to all the people in the Bible who did great things, Abraham or Moses or Gideon or Mary, he spoke to them by a name they had never heard before. He called them a name they had never heard before. Father of many nations, Abraham never heard himself called that before. Deliverer of my people, Moses never heard that. Mighty warrior, Gideon had never heard that name before. Mother of our Lord. Mary had never heard such a name before. You see, you see, God calls you according to his eternal purpose. You see, he calls you according to his eternal name. And that's what the preaching of the gospel does. It opens our ears to hear our eternal name. And this is something quite beautiful. They could not walk into that supernatural calling until they accepted the name, the eternal identity that God always had for them. That was their moment of heart circumcision. The name that cut them off from their past so when Nicola accepted that name, Mrs. Doherty, that cut her off from her past. So if you're going to accept the name that Christ gives you, it must cut you off from your past. The name saint cuts you off from being a sinner. That name cuts you off. You can't be married and single at the same time. This is so important. You can walk in that name, that destiny, with one response. Be it done unto me according to your word. That's why Mary is such a role model for the birthing and formation of the life of Christ in the believer. And that's the circumcision of the heart by the living word. When God speaks, his word is so powerful, it cuts things off. My word is like a sharp sword, he says, even to the cutting between the spirit and the soul. His new name for you, you see, allows you to transcend your old life, to rise up as a new person. This happens all the time. Have you noticed the power of words over people? Just to, uh, to set them free. It's just a beautiful thing. My goodness. It's a beautiful thing. 
If more Christians got a revelation that Christ is really married to, at one with his church, they'd be a lot more careful about the way they spoke about his bride. Christ died for his bride. His blood cleansed his bride from all sin. His words wash his bride, beautify his bride. That's the way he sees his bride, praise God. Just think, just think about what Christ feels like when we talk about his bride and we talk about ourselves as if that has not happened. You know, when people insult me, that's one thing. When they insult Nicola, oh, that's a totally different thing. Be very careful about how you talk about the church, about how you talk about his bride, how you talk about yourself. Praise God. For you're becoming the person you believe yourself to be. So hear the gospel. A name that God has for you, which transcends your mortal life, could also be called your immortal name. Have a look at verse 10 again. Look at this. These eternal calling, as revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, we're used to thinking of immortality as going in one way, on and on into the future. But the plans and purposes of God go back as well as forward. Do you understand that God lives outside of time? So it doesn't just mean that a revelation of immortality it doesn't just mean that Christ revealed eternal life as a life that went on and on and on into the future, but Christ revealed that to God our lives were in his heart from before the world began. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Who did God say that to? Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Who did he say that to? That's right, Jeremiah. But you know what? Believing he said that to Jeremiah won't change your life. Only believing he said it to you will change your life. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. When God says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you, which you is he talking about? He said to Jeremiah, he would have been talking about the prophet to the nations. To Abraham, he would have been talking about the father of many nations. To Mary, he would have been talking about mother of my Lord. That's the name when he says, I knew you. You're not talking about that dirty, rotten sinner. Eh? I didn't know him at all. I knew you. This is who I declare you to be. This is what we do with our children, you see. Now, didn't he know that when he spoke to Abraham, Abraham had achieved nothing in the flesh of his destiny? Yes, he knew that. But he wasn't speaking to Abraham according to his mortal record, but according to his immortal calling. When he spoke to Gideon, did he not know that Gideon had done nothing to earn the name Mighty Warrior? He was a coward hiding in a hole in the ground. Yes, he knew that. But he wasn't speaking to him according to his mortal record, but according to his immortal calling. Didn't he know that when he spoke to Mary, this is a girl born in poverty. She'd achieved nothing. She'd done nothing. She wasn't married. Did he not know all of that? Yes, he knew that, but he wasn't speaking to her according to her mortal record but according to her immortal calling. And that's the way the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Do you see, the Holy Spirit speaks as if what Christ did was enough. And that's why his ministers cannot speak in any other way, or else you're not speaking of the Spirit, and your words will never do anything. They'll never build people, they'll never transform people, because you're not speaking as of the Spirit. We live from Christmas. We don't live waiting for Christmas. Come on, Christians. Let everybody else wait for Christmas. We were born again into Christmas. We're now angels, praise the Lord. We're higher than angels. We carry this very life. We are the revelation of Christmas. The whole world is groaning for the revelation of the sons of God. 
to see Christmas and more than a tree and some lights, to see people living as Christ on the earth. That's what this gospel is. Oh, it's so beautiful, you know? And we are changing. And as this gospel is proclaimed, something's happening. Things are breaking in our lives. We're actually beginning to believe the gospel. I always knew this. The greatest unbelief is in the church. How can you call, accuse people in a housing estate of not believing the gospel? They've never heard it. How can you believe something you've never heard? But my God, when the Holy Spirit opens the eyes and you see what God has done, your feet has to start dancing, you know? Oh my goodness. Those angels, those angels rejoice so much. Even the shepherds, they wandered around thinking, well, I, I, this, this, oh, this is about, oh. <laughs> they didn't know what to think. I mean, they were happy, but they didn't understand it. The shepherds could not rejoice like the angels. They didn't know what they were looking at. That still describes the church. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Oh my goodness, the church is the strongest being on the face of the earth. The body of Christ. We're stronger than all the biggest military armies. We're stronger than Boris Johnson's majority. <laughs> We're stronger than anything. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we have his joy in us. His joy over us. Now, all those people I mentioned, you may say, but Phelan, they were special people. I mean, angels came to them and revealed their name. I don't, I don't see many angels coming around and appearing to people in this church and telling them their name. But you know what? God doesn't need to use angels anymore because since the appearing of Christ, immortality is now brought to light by another means. Look at verse 10 again. God has purposed another means through which men and women hear their true name in Christ. How now are such callings revealed? Look again. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Not through an angel. You don't need an angel this Christmas. We need the gospel. And we have the gospel, praise God. And what our families need is not an angel. You need the gospel. They already have the angel. That's you. <laughs> You're the messenger. We're the anointed angels, praise God. Oh, we're going to be singing. Those angels in that choir are going to be singing well on Sunday night. Praise the Lord. If the gospel you're sitting under doesn't reveal your immortal calling to you, it is not the glorious, eternal gospel that Paul preached. I'll say that again. If the gospel you're sitting under does not reveal to you your eternal, immortal calling, it's not the glorious gospel that Paul preached. If the gospel you're sitting under does not address you, reveal to you God's name for you in Christ, then you're not being equipped to live in that name because faith comes by hearing. It is in the hearing God speak to you as in Christ, the eternal one, that you're graced and empowered to live in Christ. Because words from God, they are spirit and they are life. They are Holy Spirit and they are eternal life. His words, Jesus said, my words are spirit. My words are spirit. That's why in hearing Gideon's cry of, but how am I going to do that? The Lord simply said, because I said so, that's why. Because I say so, that's why. Your mom and dad ever said that to you when you were young? He kept that, but why? But why? But how? Because I say so, that's why. But you know, when the Holy Spirit speaks, he doesn't say it like that. He never speaks to us in frustration. You know why he never speaks to us in frustration? Because he was never hoping that we'd achieve something. Christ did it all. Christ did it all. God believes his words, eternal words, impart eternal destinies. I'll say that again. God believes his words... His eternal words impart eternal destinies. How much faith does God have in his word? 
enough to see you as whom he declares you to be, not who your earthly record declares you to be. That's worth saying again. How much faith does God have in his word? Enough to see you as who he declares you to be, not according to your family or your record declare you to be. In Christ, God declared you to be a saint. But until your mind is renewed to Christ, you can only think of yourself as a sinner. If you can hear God's words to you, spoken from the eternal realm of your destiny in Christ, then that life is birthed and forms in you through the power imparted to you by those words. For what comes with his words are spirit and life, eternal life, Holy Spirit. When you were a child, you know, your mom and dad, you know, <laughs> who have been here, they would tell you things and you'd ask why and they'd say, because I say so, that's why. But you know, that's what God believes. He really believes when he says so, it's done. People used to have this phrase, God says it, I believe it, that settles it. But actually, no, it's God says it, that settles it. <laughs> you see, everything God says is already true. Now, you believing it or not is the difference between life and death, but it doesn't, it doesn't make it true. You believing it doesn't make it true, it's already true. That's why the gospel is the good news of what God has done. This is already true. This is already true. But through the proclamation of that gospel, power comes, because there's power in the word of God. Praise God. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. The Holy Spirit from his eternal realm has seen that Christ has done everything necessary. And as Brian said this morning, all we have to do is believe. And he doesn't even leave us to do that by ourselves. Nobody here believed by themselves. Nobody here fell in love by themselves. <laughs> love happened to you. Faith came by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's why to preach the gospel is to preach Christ and not to preach you. I have confidence in this gospel. I have confidence in this gospel because I have such confidence in the power of a gospel that points me to Christ. And I have lost such confidence in any gospel that points me to me. There's no power in that. I sat under such a gospel for many, many years. For many years, I sat in a place that was preached to me. In fact, all of these things that culture that threatened me with hell and damnation if I didn't repent, but never give me the gospel that would enable me to repent, that would enable me to have a metanoia, that would enable me to change my mind about God, to see what he had done. The very power of the gospel is that the righteousness of God is revealed as a gift. And that's why Paul says he'd never be ashamed of preaching such a gospel. And we're not ashamed either, especially when we see the effect it has on our own lives. When we see the change in us, from listening to this gospel, we're not ashamed of it. It's beautiful. It is the power of God to see people changed. How much faith does God have in his word? Enough to see you and I as whom he declares us to be, not who our record declares us to be. We are children of God. Christ's words to his church form him in his church. They're not just words over us, the words into us. The words into us. You see, if you're hearing the very word of God to you. I mean, there's people here, and you remember from 40, 50 years ago maybe, and you came to Christ in a meeting. You were in a gospel meeting. And you've been to many, many, many gospel meetings, but on that night, something different happened. On that night, you came out of that meeting, and you said, it was like he was talking to me. For the first time, it was like he was talking directly to me. He was. And by the Holy Spirit you heard. And the moment you heard, you became who he declared you to be. Because you found in your heart faith. Where did the faith come from? Well, it didn't come from you. It came in the word. It came in the word. 
Faith came by hearing. Let me give you an example of this. I think it's a wonderful example. This Christmas, I mean, I went to my mum's house recently and I found a box of old photographs of what we were like when we were small. Did you ever watch those and look at those? They're funny, aren't they? You look at a photograph of you when you're five or six, seven, and you look at that photograph and you think, whoa, isn't that amazing? Look at me now and look at this photograph. Huh, amazing. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Well, yes, there was somebody who thought. Your parents thought. Your parents knew that in you there was a mature person that would come out if they provided the right environment. And I wrote this down. I think it's very powerful. They cared for you, and they educated you, and they clothed you, and they fed you, and they looked after your every need. Because although there was a time when you were crawling around on all fours, I would have been quite happy to eat off the floor. I would have been quite happy to do your business on the floor. They never saw you as a dog. They never believed you were a dog. They never believed you were a cute little pet. They always believed that you were in person because they knew something you didn't. They knew that you had their DNA in you. And if they provided the right environment and the right nourishment, you would become the person that they saw you to be. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel of God's grace, the gospel of what he's done. Not about what you need to do. It provides the right environment for you to grow up to be who God says you are. And that's what Ascension Ministry is. The ministry of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor. For the growing up of the body into Christ. And that's why it's uncomfortable for you to be under this ministry. Because you're under an apostolic ministry. And it will not speak to you as you are. It will speak to you as God declares you to be. And that can only be done by the Spirit. And I can only speak to you that way to the extent I receive that myself. And that's why I need you to speak to me after the Spirit. That I may speak to you after the Spirit. That you may speak to me after the Spirit. You see how it goes? Up and up and up we go. And you keep thinking you're coming back to the same place, but you're not really. You're ascending. You're ascending in your thinking. You're ascending in your thinking. Till eventually, in the way you live your life, Monday to Saturday, you have sat down in the Spirit. You're no longer living by your soul. You're no longer living by your feelings. You're no longer reacting to everything that happens to you. As if that you're per so-and-so hard done by. You are the child of the living God. You have everything you need. And the whole world is waiting for Christians to live from there. To live from your spirit. Live from the very mansion of God. The Father's house is a house of music and dancing. That's your spirit. And if you get very, very quiet and listen carefully, you'll hear music and dancing. You'll hear that the Holy Spirit is laughing in you at your problems. And it's not because he's insensitive, because he sees what you can't see. But he's opening your eyes to see what you can't see. And when he does, we will be transcended from this world. We will live as people who are no longer told who we are by what happens to us. We live transcended. And that's the gift of Christmas. That's the gift of Christ, the gift of his Spirit, that we can walk this earth as Christ did. No longer. I don't need men to tell me who I am, he said. I know who I am. He stood before Herod, battered and bruised. And looked Herod right in the eye. And looked him in the eye as a king. And, Herod, and sorry, Pilate it was. Pilate trembled because he knew this is something different about this man. He knows who he is. I'm standing before a king. You walk out into Irish Street or walk into Movilla, walk into Straban. You're standing as kings and queens. That's who you are. But it's in believing that. It's in believing that. And we have every help to believe because we have this glorious gospel. Praise God. If you are a believer then in the same way a child is not a dog, you're not a mere man. So let me quote to you Ephesians 4, which says, Stop living like an unbeliever who lives in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. That's Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. Let me try and bring this to a close. Is it possible 
for believers to harden their hearts against the gospel and never grow up into the maturity of sonship and to think of themselves and God as one life. Is that possible? Is it possible for believers, those who've been raised with Christ, to live a mere natural, earthly, religious life, thinking of themselves as mere men separated from God by their sin rather than the temples of the Holy Spirit, the very habitation of God? Anyone who's been around the church for any length of time knows that it's more than possible. This immaturity is the widespread normal state of the church, the body of Christ. For a church that has not grown to see that they are the very habitation of God are always waiting for a visitation from God. When you cannot see what God has done, you'll spend your life waiting for something better. And here's the gospel. There's nothing better than Christ in you. There's nothing better than Christ in you. Aren't we so blessed? I mean, aren't we so blessed? We have received the gift. You know, we're going to give out these presents to people this Christmas, you know, and you get such a, it is better to give than to receive, isn't it? I mean, you love to give a gift to your children. You love that moment when they tear open. The whole of heaven must be jumping up and down over River City Church. Folks, we're at that moment where we're tearing back the wrapping. <laughs> yeah. That's what the whole, we're, we're tearing back the wrapping. We're beginning to get a glimpse, a glimpse of this life, this eternal life. This life I grew up from a little boy, thinking that this life I would, I would start the day I died. Now I realize the day I died, the day I died, the day I was circumcised, where my old single life was cut off and I became married to him. And I'm waking up to that life. And that's a beautiful life. And I just want to dance and sing and, and just live life to the full, you know, enjoy life. I don't have to try to be holy. I am holy. Holy means set apart unto God. This lady here was set apart unto me. Stand up, please. This lady here was set apart unto me 30 years ago this year. Do you have to try to be married to you, No. No, you don't? No. Okay, okay. That's lovely, isn't it? God gets so... He must look at us trying so hard to be Christians. You know, if you're trying to be a Christian, that's an expression of unbelief. You are a Christian. You are a child of God. Now start from there. Live from there. Help each other. Speak to each other that way. We can all see problems. We can all see faults and problems. But you can see past that. You can see the beautiful life that's growing up inside of us. You weren't a dog. You were a person. And you're not a mere man. You're a child of God. Amen? Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful Christmas gift. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for this eternal life. We thank you most of all that we're growing up into it. We're growing up into you, Father. We're growing up into this oneness, this peace. And so we declare, Lord, we have the capacity to speak peace over our families. When we pray this morning, Lord, we're believing that by the proclamation of this gospel, we are the peace of God. When we walk into a family situation, I declare this, when you walk into a broken family situation this Christmas, the peace of God just walked into the room. The peace of God just walked into the room. And Father, I just thank you that you're making us more and more aware of who we are, that we can walk down the street, bright, shining lights, your angels in the face of, in the face of darkness, your angels that cause the darkness to flee because we carry this wonderful gospel. We declare this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.